Lord, as we turn toward your word, we remember the words of the song that we just sang, asking you to refine us as in a fire. And um, that image of fire can be can seem like a scary image, except that we remember that you're burning away things that would hurt and kill us. And actually, it's your love that does that. And so as we as we press on in this sermon series where we're meditating on being consecrated or set apart holy as your children in this world, we do pray now that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work doing that in our hearts and our minds as we turn toward your word. Enable us to hear, enable us to respond, and purify us, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, church family, uh, if you've worshipped here for any length of time, you might know that I don't have much use for sermon titles. Uh, I never really got to picking them and using them. But for a long time, I have wanted to preach a sermon that I would title, God Loves Good Sex. You can laugh in church. It's quite okay. Um, Really, it was his idea. It was his invention. It was his creation. He dreamed it up. It started in his heart. And so the church needs to redeem it. Okay? But this sermon's not titled God Loves Good Sex because that only partially flows out of this text. This sermon's titled The Gospel and Sex. Okay? The Gospel and Sex. So we're talking about um, consecration, like I just prayed, prayed about. What does it mean to be set apart for the Lord? What the Bible calls us a holy priesthood priests ministers so we have this with this calling from the lord to be conduits that minister to others and it flows out of holiness because holiness reflects the character of god and so we've been marching through first corinthians looking at being consecrated in different ways and this morning we're in first corinthians chapter six and if you turn there with me now i'll read from chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. So we're going to dip back a little bit into Pastor Julius's text from last week because it doesn't break up so evenly. And then flow forward to verse 20. So starting at verse uh, 9, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start sober. I'm just warning you right away. But we'll get to some good news, okay? August 6, 1945, at 8.15 a.m., an 8,000-pound uranium bomb was dropped from the skies from a B-29 bomber onto Hiroshima, Japan. When that bomb dropped, when it exploded... Every single person within 1,640 feet were instantaneously vaporized. Within two seconds, every single person within a quarter mile, 80,000 of them, was dead. And then, as the bomb mushroomed into a giant fireball, every single person within a half mile died in that firestorm, 135,000 people. The water in the area became so contaminated by the uranium and the dead bodies that some died almost immediately after consuming the water, like drank and died. The ones who didn't die, were fortunate enough to not die, began coughing up a yellow substance. Within half an hour after the bomb drop, a black rain, a tarry-like substance, began to fall from the sky. Thousands upon thousands of people who were not killed instantaneously later died from the effects of the radiation. They experienced vomiting, diarrhea, swollen mouth, throat, bleeding areas. Babies died in the womb. Babies were born with 
deformities, without brains, with tiny brains. Horrific, horrific impact of one bomb on human hearts and lives. Gut-wrenching. And after it was dropped, Albert Einstein, who was not allowed to participate in the actual making of the bomb, but whose whose research was very, very much used to create it, was quoted as saying, if I had only known the effects of my work, I should have become a watchmaker. He was devastated. And he never really got over it. Einstein was experiencing the kind of pain and disaster that occur when something is used outside of created design. And that, that's the kind of pain and disaster that Paul is trying to help the Corinthian Christians avoid as he wrestles to bring them into a full understanding of what the gospel means for their sexuality. Okay, So as we can hear him begin by clearly warning them against losing the inheritance they've just come into through faith in Jesus. He says, don't you know, don't you know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. In other words, don't, don't let somebody fool you into thinking something that's not true that's going to cause you to lose what you've just received. Adulterers won't enter the kingdom. Neither will men who have sex with men. Sexually immoral people will not inherit the kingdom of God, says Paul. And the word he uses here is porneia, which is where we obviously get our word pornography from, but it's not uh, referencing pornography. It's actually a, a Greek word that's a catch-all for every kind of sexual immorality. So he's, Paul's very clear from the start. He, he's saying sexual immorality of any kind and the kingdom of God don't mix. We cannot come into the purity and the holiness of the kingdom through faith in Jesus and then keep muddying the temple with sexual impurity. You can't do it, says Paul, period. But then, he doesn't leave them there, he doesn't leave us there, he presses deeper and he begins to challenge their understanding of both creation and the gospel. And this is where he moves toward the bomb and radiation-like effects of living outside of created design. He says, he quotes them, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say. Now notice this. He doesn't tell them they're wrong. See, because the Corinthians have picked up on the fact that the gospel sets them free. That they're no longer under the law. Right? Like Paul writes to the Romans, you're not under the law, you're under grace. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. If you are under law and have to keep it, you're condemned because nobody can keep the law. And Paul knows the gospel of God's grace very clearly. And he's preached it and they've heard it. And so notice he doesn't contradict him. He doesn't tell them they're wrong. He doesn't say, no, you must follow this law and that law. But he wisely says to them, not everything is beneficial. And then he comes back and he says, I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. And the implication is, if anything other than God is mastering you, you're right back into slavery again. And so Paul's saying, you're not wrong that you're free, but you've got to use your freedom wisely. And then he quotes them again and he says, 
You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Both. True. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord. And what he's saying here is actually quite profound. He's saying, you're thinking about the way that food and the body are actually designed for each other. Right? The body was made, was created to need food, to enjoy food, to use food, to be sustained by food. It was created that way. And food was made to be grown and harvested and prepared and enjoyed even as it sustains us. They are made for each other. And then Paul says, but you're taking this good design for your physical appetite and you are grossly misapplying it to your sexual appetites. Your bodies are not designed for consuming and giving yourselves away sexually in all the different ways that you've been used to up to this point. You are designed for intimacy within the security of lifelong commitment. And sex outside of marriage, whether adultery or prostitution or homosexuality or pornography or compulsive masturbation or whatever it is, all sexual experience outside of God's good design is like a spiritual bomb that produces devastating radiation and fallout. Don't you know, says Paul, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. Prostitution was the issue that they were dealing with there. He could just as easily be saying, he who has sex with so-and-so or sex with any kind of sex outside of marriage. Don't you know, Paul says, there's no such thing as casual sex. Because all sexual intercourse by God's design includes a bonding that makes two into one. This is why some of us have a hard time forgetting sexual experiences from years or decades ago. We can't deviate from God's design for bonding without producing fallout. And church, as I stand before you today, I'm painfully aware that many of us have had sexual bombs go off in our lives. Whether those bombs were dropped by others or whether they were detonated by us. Every one of us has suffered in some way the toxic effects of human sexuality operating outside of God's design in some way, shape, or form. And I'm just going to be vulnerable with you and say that my own story includes... Several neighbor boys introducing me to pornographic material as a, as a young preteen. Now, by, by God's grace, that did not turn into a, a, a long-term habit or an addiction, but it, it certainly had very harmful effects on my developing teenage view of women and of relationships that impacted me for years. Okay, that's a part of my story, but each one of us if we went around the room and if we were vulnerable, we could tell some pretty hard stories. You know, some of us 
Some of us have had our innocence stolen from us in ways that introduced just deep shame and confusion, anger. We've been sexually abused. That's like a massive bomb that just incinerates a part of our soul, has a a lingering effect on our lives. Abuse, when you're abused, it just makes it so hard to trust again. And that's just one of the effects. Some of us have had sexual experiences outside of marriage that we've never told anybody about. Some of us have committed adultery. Others of us have had experiences with people we were dating and Years and even decades later, we struggle to leave those experiences behind, but we fear mentioning them to anybody. The sin, the shame, the secrecy are all toxic. Some of our families have been riddled by a combination of sexual sin and secrecy, where people won't talk about what's gone on behind closed doors. Sometimes won't even acknowledge it. So it's like bombs have gone off in the past and there's this river of toxicity that keeps running through the family and some people in the family want to clean it up, want to tend to it, and others won't even acknowledge it exists. Some of us have had sexual experiences with people of the same gender which introduced or deepened confusion. Bomb with harmful effects. Some of us have gotten trapped in a cycle of compulsive masturbation, attempting to pleasure ourselves in isolation. And again, the sin, the secrecy, the shame, toxic radiation. Some of us have allowed sexual curiosity to lead into viewing pornographic material, which has become an addiction. And uh, according to the latest stats about the church, that's over half of us in this room. It really is an epidemic. Research shows that a brain on porn is the same as a brain on hard drugs. Porn is devastating for both the consumer and others in relationship with them. It's like a bomb with continual radiation coming out from it. Not only does it reshape our view of bodies, our view of intimacy, but it also creates unnatural expectations within marriages. It leaves spouses to second guess whether they're being compared, whether they're enough. All of us have struggled with lust. If you're in this room and you're an adult and you're breathing, you've struggled with it at some point in time or another, in some way, shape, form or another. All of us are bombarded by an overly sexualized culture that measures worth and value by body shape and size and performance. And in one sense, we could say that sexual bombs are going off or grenades are going off all around us all the time on TV and movies, on social media. 
We can hardly escape the message that my body is mine to do what I want, with whom I want, when I want. The only law is what feels good. Friends, I'm just scratching the surface of sexual brokenness and the way that the human families deviated from God's good design and the impact that it has on us. But I'm going to stop scratching the surface because it's enough right now and I can feel how how heavy it makes us feel or how sober it is. So let's turn. Let's turn toward the good news that Paul brings us. Because whether it's whether whatever 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 sexual sin or brokenness or um, form of sexual uh, perversion we've been exposed to, we've been engaged in, whatever shame, whatever secrecy came with it, whatever it is, God has really good news for us this morning, and that is this. There is no sexual devastation or sexual radiation that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. There is no sexual devastation. There is no sexual radiation. There's no bomb that's gone off. There's no effect that we've experienced that's stronger than the effects of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're washed, says Paul. You're sanctified. You are justified. Jesus has cleansed you. He's freed you. He has restored you. Whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, all the ways that you may have been muddied by sinful and broken sexuality, Jesus covers it all with His blood. Jesus' shed blood really does overcome every bomb that's gone off, every radiating effect of sin and brokenness, and it really does give us a brand new start. When we get clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, it's like it wasn't. He looks at us as pure and holy. He forgets it. He casts it away. It is really gone. You're washed. You are sanctified. You're free and you're new, says Paul. But you're also not your own. You've been bought with a price. Jesus purchased you so that your body could be restored to original design. And what was that design? Your body, says Paul, was made for the Lord and the Lord for your body. You are now one in spirit with God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a member of Christ yourself, himself. Friends, this is, this is incredible, what he's, what he's saying or what he's doing with this, the, the metaphor and the, the words he's using here. He's saying, just like, going back to that food in the body metaphor, just like God designed the body to need and to enjoy food and food to sustain life and bring pleasure, he's saying, so in the same way, your body is meant for God and God for your body. Which is why he goes on to say, 
and it might have seemed out of place to you when I read it earlier, this is why God's raising you from the dead. This is why you're getting a resurrection body. We're not just disembodied souls and spirits in, an, in heaven. We're going to a new creation with new bodies because your body is made for God because God wants to bring life and joy and sustain and energize your very body is designed for union with God that brings pleasure and life. This is a profound mystery, says Paul, as he describes husband and wife becoming one flesh to the Ephesians. But I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. Union to Actually becoming one. God being physically reunited with children he loves. Children who'd been separated by sin, who'd been naked and ashamed, who'd hidden, who'd been forced out of the garden and out of his presence. And what Paul's saying to to the Corinthians and to us is not just a prohibition. It's not just a, you can't use your body this way or that way set of laws. He's saying, do you have any idea what you were designed for? Do you know what God wants for you? The kind of satisfaction He wants to bring. You were made for Him and He for you. And He uses this phrase, the temple of the Holy Spirit, to describe our bodies. This is, this is profound, okay? 2, Two Chronicles 5 shows King Solomon preparing the temple according to God's design and then 120 priests bring the Ark of the Covenant and they bring it into the temple and what happens next? They withdraw from the temple and the scripture says the glory of God comes in, the temple's filled with the cloud of his glory and then it says the priests can't stand to minister because of the manifest glory of God. They can't stand up and all they can do is sing, He's good, His love endures forever. He's good, His love endures forever. Can you picture this? 120 of them on the ground outside of the temple. The glory comes in and they're on their faces. They can't stand up because of the goodness of God. All they can do is sing, He's good. His love endures forever. The presence of the Lord is like the exact opposite of the radiating effects of sin and brokenness. The presence of the Lord His glory, His goodness have such a powerful effect on human beings. We're so overwhelmed by what's radiating out of the temple that we can just say, You're so good. You're so good. Your love endures forever. And this is the image that Paul's drawing on as he says, We are temples of the Spirit. That we get this glory of the Lord, that we get to live with the indwelling presence of the one who's good and who loves forever, that we are designed for this, that the gospel restores each of us to original design, totally cleansed, made for the Lord and the Lord for us, which is why, says Paul, we need to honor God with our body.
We need to flee or run from sexual immorality. Because what we do with our body not only has a profound impact on our relationship with the Lord, but it also tells a story to everyone around us. So whether it's seen by people or merely by God in the spirit realm, what we do with our body tells one of two stories. We're either telling the world's story of sexual brokenness and immorality, of emptiness and longing and loneliness and rebellion, shame and confusion, or we're telling the gospel story of redemption and of healing and of restored intimacy, of belonging to the Lord, of being designed for Him and He for us and being satisfied in Him. A story of purity and of holiness and of joy in the Lord. And then we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks that whether we're single or we're married makes no difference on whether we're telling one of these two stories or not. In either case, our sexuality, our bodies, are to be living testimonies of God's power to purify and his ability to satisfy. Let me say that again. Our bodies are to be a living testimony of God's power to purify and his ability to satisfy. A vibrant walk with God really is better than any form of sexual experience. Marriage at its healthiest only points to this. Singleness at its healthiness is this. Do we believe it? Are we practicing it? Do our lives tell the story of being fully satisfied in God and yielding and consecrating our bodies to Him in joyful purity? And are we able to call others to the same joyful purity? If we're going to tell the gospel through our bodies to both model and call others to joyful sexual holiness, as Paul is, and I think this will be important for us moving forward. It's always important, but we just need to hear it afresh this morning that we not have secrets. The gospel liberates as we bring things into the light. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, I'm not a real pictorial person, but I kept having a picture of like, like um, uh, pockets within our hearts or souls that were... Uh, Obsessed, like like the light of Christ uh, had much room within us, but then there was a pocket where some, something where there was like something was dark and um, help me out with a medical term, nurse Gina, infected. That's a really deep and profound medical term. Thank you. 
when we keep things secret, when they remain hidden, we may know intellectually that we're forgiven, but we don't live in the fullness of the freedom that comes through bringing those things into the light, sharing them with other human beings, acknowledging them, and receiving the cleansing forgiveness of Jesus Christ as it's mediated to us by another person. And it's the act of acknowledging that brings liberation. And part of what we need to hear is these things don't need to take us out. You think about King David. He sinned sexually horribly, right? Rape, murder, And he's still called a man after God's own heart. Because when he was confronted, he fell to his face. He acknowledged it to God. He said, you're absolutely right. I I did this. I'm a sinner from birth. But he knew the mercy and the love of God. And so he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He confessed it. And he said, the sacrifice you want, it's not a bull or a goat. What you want is the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. So here's my heart, God. Here's my confession. And he got restored because nothing stayed hidden or dark. He, you know, you think he could have, what choice did he have? Nathan already knew he could have killed the prophet. Could have snuffed him. Right? We all have a choice when God confronts us, when He shows us things, He's doing it to free us. He's doing us to bring us into the fullness of satisfaction in Him. Holiness and purity are joy. The degree of our holiness, or the degree of our joy, will correspond to the degree of our holiness Practically, I have to say this carefully, okay? Christ makes us holy, we're covered by his blood, but we have to then grow into that holiness, grow up in it, right? The degree that we agree with God and share in, practically share in his holiness, his life, is the degree that we experience joy. And how do we do that? By acknowledging everything he says that's dark or unholy, agreeing with him, bringing those things into the light, and, and confessing them, and receiving his forgiveness, And so we need to make a commitment as believers, as regards to our body and our sexuality, I won't live with secrets. I won't live with dark things that I won't tell anybody about, even if they're from last week, if they're from last decade, or if they're from 40 years ago. I'm not living with secrets. I'm living in the light. And so I'm going to give us an invitation um, in a few minutes, for different different ways that we can appropriate Christ's cleansing and healing work by sharing things with other believers, by confessing our sins to each other and being healed, as James says. But before I give that invitation, I want to say two things. One is just to say, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a person struggle to act, to have the courage to bring out and name something that they've kept hidden. Because the enemy lies and he tells you that you're gonna be, that people are gonna be ashamed of you, that they're gonna look down on you, they're gonna condemn you. And every time the person has had the courage to mention it, and then to see 
in my eyes or Pastor Gina's eyes or whoever's ministering's eyes, love, forgiveness, the mercy of Jesus, it's like a heavy blanket lifts off, like a weight lifts off, and like they can look in your eyes. Over and over and over again, I see this happen. One more thing I want to share. Connected to this. When God was calling his people out of Egypt, this is the picture for us, right? Out of bondage to sin, out of slavery, and he gave instruction for how they were going to come out, how they were going to get delivered and rescued, it was through the application of the blood of the Lamb, who we know is Jesus. Okay. They had to take that blood and they had to put it on the doorposts. And what happened was the angel of Satan, the angel of death, saw the blood on the doorposts and passed over. And if it wasn't there, he killed, came in and killed the firstborn. This is a picture for us of what applying the blood of Jesus looks like. And we need to learn the practice of applying the blood in, in not just receiving forgiveness ourselves from Christ, but actually then, Paul says to the Ephesians, on the day of evil or the moment of evil, take your stand against the enemy. Okay? So, there's not one of us in here that's uh, probably not sinned sexually, confessed it to God, and then had images of the things we've done or been a part of or read or been exposed to come back to us and attempt to accuse us and begin to torment us and to shame us and to lead us right back into that cycle or maybe it was things that were done to us but lead us right back into that cycle of of um, shame and bondage and you know then keeping it getting weighed down keeping it secret and what we need to learn to do is to recognize once i have confessed once I've been forgiven and cleansed, I am free. But I need to stand, I need to apply the blood to maintain that freedom. In other words, I need to recognize when I am under attack, when my mind is being, or my soul is being attacked by an agent of Satan, when I'm being reminded of my past, I need to say, No, this house is off limits. The blood's over it. This house is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within me. He's cleansed me, sanctified me. He's forgiven me. I've confessed that stuff. You've got no right here. Pass over. Leave. And you will experience when you do this, You will find strength rises up in you. You will find faith rises up in you. You will find love for Jesus rises up in you because you remember again how he cleansed you. You're you're appropriating what he's already done again. And you will find the devil flees because James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Okay? So I'm giving you that this is a pastoral encouragement that I've learned over the years, practically, that's absolutely important for living in the fullness of the freedom that God's given us. 
People don't often talk about what's going on in their thought lives, but I know from my own experience and a lot of ministry how how much we get a, attacked with our former sins. And so we've got to we got to bring it into the light, get forgiven, get cleansed by the blood of Jesus that nothing's stronger than every radiating effect, every bomb that went off. He, he's he can heal, he can cleanse. And then stand on it. Okay? So the invitation is this morning, don't leave anything hidden. Let's deal with it. Whatever it is. There's no shame. We've had some really bold and courageous people over the last few years, a part of testimony time or sharing time, that have gotten up and have said, I struggled with this sexual sin and got in front of the congregation. And you don't need to get in front of the congregation. If the Lord moves you to do that, fine. That's not what I'm calling for. I'm just calling for bring whatever it is, Bring it out into the light. Confess it. Be rid of it. And then live ongoingly as a model of the purity of God and satisfaction in God that he has for each one of us. Okay, so maybe it's coming to prayer partners. Maybe it's prayer ministry. Maybe it's meeting with a carol or a pastor. Maybe it's meeting with a trusted friend and saying, I need to share. And could you minister to me the grace of the Lord? You pick and choose your option. But let's just commit together. Nothing secret or hidden as it comes to our, relates to our bodies and our sexuality. Our bodies are for the Lord. We are going to honor Him and we're going to demonstrate the gospel through our bodies. Amen? Alright, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again. We praise you and we worship you for the cleansing power of your blood, for the love that caused you to go to the cross for us, and that the gospel liberates and redeems us from every harmful effect of sin, whether brought upon us by others or by our own participation in it. And so we just, right now, Lord, we ask you to empower us by your Spirit wherever there's something that we're still ashamed of, that we still haven't confessed or struggling with, Lord, help us to share and take us to a new degree of freedom and thanksgiving in you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.